excuse. All right, today's going to be a great day. Already been an awesome morning. Open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 2. We're going to talk about something a little different. We're going to talk about the three wise men, the magi. And we're going to look at a couple things that I feel like the Lord put on my heart. So, everybody got Matthew 2? It's appropriate you're getting glasses because we want the Lord to give us a new lens to see, to have revelation, okay? Um, So I'm going to read all of Matthew chapter 2. Y'all just read along with me. I'm reading from the Kingdom Translation, which is one of my favorite New Testament translations. It says, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, at the time when Herod was king, some wise men and learned men came to Jerusalem from the east. Where is the one, they asked, who's been born to the king of the Jews? We've seen his star rising in the east, and we've come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was very disturbed, and the whole of Jerusalem was as well. He called together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, and he inquired from them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem of Judea, they replied, that's what it says in the prophet, you, Bethlehem, in Judah's land, are not the least of Judah's princes. From out of you will come the ruler who will shepherd Israel, my people. So then Herod called the wise men to him in secret, and he found out from them precisely when the star had appeared. And then he sent them to Bethlehem. Off you go, he said. Make a thorough search for the child, and when you find him, report back to me so I can go and worship him too. And when they heard what the king said, they sent off. There was the star the one they had seen rising in the east, going ahead of them. It went and stood still over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were beside themselves with joy and excitement. They went into the house, and they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. They opened their treasure chests and gave him presents, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. They were warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, and so they returned to their own country by a different route. After the Magi had gone, suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said, and take the child and his mother and hurry off to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you Herod is going to hunt for the child to kill him. And so he got up and he took the child and his mother by night, and he went off to Egypt. And he stayed there until the death of Herod. This happened to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, Out of Egypt, I called my son. When Herod saw that he had been tricked by the Magi, he flew into a towering rage. He dispatched people to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and in all its surrounding districts from two years old and under, according to the time the Magi had told him. That was when the word that came through Jeremiah the prophet was fulfilled. There was heard a voice in Ramah crying in loud lamentation. Rachel is weeping for her children and will not let anyone comfort her because they are no more. After the death of Herod, suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt. Get up, he said, and take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel. Those that wanted to kill the child are dead. And so he got up, he took the, children, the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was ruling Judea instead of his father Herod, He was afraid to go back there. And after being advised in a dream, he went off to the region of Galilee. When he got there, he settled in a town called Nazareth. This is to fulfill what the prophet had spoken. He shall be called a Nazarene. All right? 
So I was reading that this week, and I was struck by a few things, and I wanted to dig into it. And so a lot of times when I read the Bible, I will um, just ask a ton of questions. Hopefully everybody knows that the Lord loves to speak to you, and he loves to have conversation with you. That's how I learned to hear God's voice, was by reading the Bible, asking questions about what I read, and I would write out my question to the Lord why in the world did this happen, or who are these people, or where did they come from, whatever, and then this voice would pop in my head and begin to speak to me, and I would just write down whatever the first word was that came to my mind, and I would write it down, and all of a sudden, I find that it's biblically accurate based on what I'm reading, so then, oh my gosh, maybe this weird voice in my head is actually true, and this is God, and he's speaking to me, and I had uh, um, history with the Lord speaking and then me finding that it was true in the Bible thereafter and that's how I learned to have confidence in the voice of God. So that's what I was doing this week. I'm reading chapter 2 and I just, God, I want revelation. I want a new insight. Would you show me something here in in chapter 2? And the first question that popped in my mind was, who are the wise men and where do they come from? So everybody say it with me. Who are the wise men? Where do they come from? Well, I'm so glad you asked because the wise men came from the east. Say east. So I Googled my favorite source for biblical learning. And uh, the east, I found a bunch of theories and suggestions of where the wise men came from. And uh, so what I want to do today is just kind of open up the story. And let's just try to immerse ourselves in the story. So one of the most compelling arguments for who the wise men were was that the wise men came from the southern tip of the Arabian Peninsula. Okay? So it seems very specific and it's interesting. But here's the reasoning why. In the old days, it was customary for one king to honor another king by sending the best fruits of their country as a gift to that king, okay? This is something that happened on a consistent basis in those days. Um, So, for instance, in the Bible, Solomon, he had somebody come visit him named the Queen of Sheba, okay? The Queen of Sheba brought with her gold and spices, the best of her land, the best of her region. The Queen of Sheba... They say that the gold she gave to Solomon was worth at least $120 million in today's money. Potentially up to $300 million just to come and sit at this dude's feet and to learn from his wisdom. That's a crazy gift, okay? But that was customary in these days to honor another country, one king or queen to another, bringing the best of their land. And so... um, She was actually from the tip of the Arabian Peninsula, okay? So the other theory is that um, the three wise men, they come with gold, frankincense, and myrrh, okay? Gold is plentiful throughout the whole area. There's some spot, there's hot spots of gold. So that one you can't quite figure out where they come from. But if they're bringing with them the best of their land, then we can look at frankincense and myrrh to try to figure out who these guys were and where they came from. Frankincense and myrrh were both created from two trees. Okay? Frankincense was made from the tree of Boswellia. Okay? Can you say Boswellia? I'll try to spell it. Boswellia. Okay? Boswellia is what frankincense came from. And then Comifora. Say Comifora. Not Sephora, Comifora is what myrrh came from, okay? So there were these two trees. And guess where these two trees only grew? Anyway, in the southern tip of the Arabian Peninsula. 
in all the world, I've been told, at that time, the only place these two trees were found was in the southern tip of the Arabian Peninsula. Okay? So frankincense comes from Boswellia tree. And what they do is the tree grows up, and then they puncture the tree, and the tree begins to bleed a sap. The sap then turns into a a resin. They take the resin, and then it turns into frankincense, which is a fragrant aroma. And they use it at the time for worship services. It said that whenever Nero, whenever his favorite mistress died, that he burned an entire year's harvest of frankincense at her funeral. And so frankincense is this stuff that is, it smells sweet. It's this great aroma. And they use it in worship to be pleasing to the gods. So it spoke to deity and it spoke to something that was pleasing to the gods as well. Okay? The only place at the time that you can find it, southern tip of the Arabian Peninsula, Boswellia tree. Same thing for the Kamafora tree, which is where you get the myrrh, the spiced myrrh. So they would puncture the tree. It would bleed sap. The sap would turn into an oily resin, and then they would use this substance. Don't ask me why, but some, for some reason it was incredibly precious, and they would use it to mummify people when they died. So in Egypt, when they make mummies, you go to the museum and you see a coffin of a mummy. They used myrrh inside that coffin to make that person ready for death. And to make that person ready for the afterlife, to be pleasing and accepted in the afterlife. Okay? So at the time, the only place in the world that you can find these two incredibly rare spices were the southern tip of the Arabian Peninsula. It was such an important commodity back in the day that this area became a hot spot of the trade routes. So China would come to this area. Africa would come. India would come. All these countries would come to this one place to get these two spices because you could not find them anywhere else. It was such an important spice that all of Europe considered the tip of the Arabian Peninsula incredibly blessed by the Lord, by gods. God, obviously. But incredibly blessed by the gods because they had these two things that you couldn't find anywhere else. Okay? So, um, myrrh was also used in the temple when they would consecrate and anoint the temple. Myrrh was one of the listed spices that was used for those services when they would consecrate it to the Lord. Whenever God told Moses, this is how you make the anointing oil, myrrh was one of the ingredients listed. So, kind of interesting. So, if you're taking the idea that the wise men are bringing with them a gift from one king to another king, the best of their land, to give it to another king then we begin to see it is plausible that they come from the southern tip of the Arabian Peninsula. Okay? Same place Queen of Sheba came. And Jesus actually said, the Queen of Sheba gave gifts to Solomon, and now someone even greater than him is here, pointing to himself. Okay? Interesting that this country honored the anointing of the Lord upon a king back in Solomon's day, and now the same region is honoring the anointing of the Lord upon the king of the Jews. Isn't that cool? Okay. So, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. These, these wise men, they were incredibly wise, okay? I, I don't know if they were political kings or not, But some people call them kings, some call them wise men, some call them astrologers. What we do know is that these guys were extremely wealthy. 
they were extremely brilliant. They had tremendous influence in their region, and they were looked upon by the whole nation as, wow, that guy, that's the guy, okay? So if, it, if they're not a political king, we could be thinking people like Steve Jobs or like uh, Mark Cuban, if you will, or um, Thomas Edison, or name some amazingly powerful, brilliant mind Einstein, okay? Wise men, if you will, if they're not political kings, but they have tremendous influence. So they study the stars, they watch the stars, and they believe that the stars, that the cosmos speak to the earth about what's happening in history, so they've been studying, and they've been learning, and they've been watching, and they know about this one star that's going to prophesy about the rising of the king of the Jews. Again, I don't know how they found out about this star, but they know when this star rises, the king of the Jews is, has been born. So they're watching the skies. They're watching, and all of a sudden, the star rises, and they think, oh my gosh, this is it. This is incredibly significant. It's time for us to do our thing where we take our gifts and go honor the new king. So they load up and they, they create this convoy of camels and people and servants, this huge army of people that take off from possibly the southern tip of peninsula of Arabia and they take off towards Jerusalem. Okay? So they set out on this journey. And here's what I think. I have a feeling they've done this several times before where they've gone as kings to honor other kings, and they take these gifts to honor other kings. If the queen of Sheba sent hundreds of millions of dollars worth of gifts to honor a king, a lot of times when I, when I watch the Christmas story, you know, and the kings show up at the stable at the same time as the shepherds, and they have these little boxes, right? There's a lot of things wrong with that picture, but one of the things wrong with the picture is that I don't know that they can fit millions of dollars worth of gifts inside their tiny little boxes, okay? So let's throw that mindset out the window. These guys, this is one kingdom honoring another kingdom, bringing the best fruits of their land to honor that guy. So they're bringing a tremendous amount of value with them to honor this person. Maybe millions of dollars worth of gifts to give to baby Jesus. How cool is that? So they take off. They've done this before, I think. And I think in, in history, when they go to honor another kingdom, they go directly to the king's house. And they knock on the door with this huge convoy of people and their, their robes and their garments and their gifts, these huge treasure boxes. They come to the king's door. And they want to connect and give this gift to the new king. So then eventually they go and meet the king, and there's a party, and they give these gifts to the baby. And it's one nation to another nation, this, this beautiful ceremony. They have a huge feast. It's this great time. It's this unifying thing between these two countries. Okay? So I think they've done it several times before. And I think this time they see the star. The heavens have spoken. There's a new king of Jerusalem. There's a new king of Israel. So let's go. And they take off on their journey. It could have taken days. It could have taken weeks. It probably took months and maybe took up to two years. This is a big deal for them to leave their place and go where they're going. So what do they do when they show up to Jerusalem? They go directly to Jerusalem. They go to the king's house because they're doing this thing that they've done before. They go to the head honcho in the area. The head honcho is King Herod, okay? King Herod was a bad dude. He was an amazing king. He's known for his building exploits. 
Um, he didn't live a super long life, but he built some of the most amazing structures of history, okay? Kind of like the pharaohs. That was kind of like King Herod. And so he was in charge of this whole region. He wasn't actually the king. The Romans gave him authority to be king. So he was, his rule was there first. The Romans come in, and then they kind of say, okay, you can stay. You keep doing your thing, but we really have authority over this place. And so um, we've been to some of the ruins where King Herod built. He built this huge castle. It's called Masada. It's in the middle of the desert, and it's a huge compound that's gorgeous, and it's still there today. As you can see the ruins of it. It's amazing. So Herod technically is king of the Jews, if you will, and he's enjoying his life. He's living the high life. He's building these beautiful summer homes and vacation homes and all this stuff, and he doesn't want anybody to threaten his position or his authority as the king of this region. And so all of a sudden, these three wise men show up to his house, and they say, hey, congratulations. We're so excited about the new king of the Jews. Where is he? And it says that Herod is furious, right? He's like, what? New king? Of the I'm the king of the Jews. What are you talking about? New king of the Jews? That's ridiculous. But I think he has tact because he understands the authority that rests on these three men. He understands the situation, the political situation happening here. I don't think he flies off the handle at these guys. I think he hits pause. And I think internally he's freaking out about what in the world are they talking about. But he does it tactfully. He says, oh, wow, oh, yeah, we're excited. We're real, yeah, we're real excited about that. It's a great day in, in Israel, yes. Hallelujah. Let me just go talk to somebody real quick. And he, set, he, he walks away from the three wise men. And he gathers the Pharisees and the political rulers, the Jewish rulers of the day. What the heck is this? King of the Jews. What is this? Somebody fill me in quick. Come on. What are we talking about? And they're like, oh, the Messiah. Who, who, who's the Messiah? The Savior of the world. You know that guy? What are you talking about? Well, where's he supposed to be built? Or where's he supposed to be born? Bethlehem. Okay, Bethlehem. Let's go. Let's go tell them. Hey, guys, you know, he's not here right now. Uh, he stepped out for a minute. But uh, he should be in Bethlehem. So if you want to go to Bethlehem and give him the gifts uh, to the new king of the Jews, that would be great. Go over there. Oh, and by the way, I would really like to worship the king of the Jews. So can you just come back and tell me exactly what his address is whenever you get done? Thanks. Okay? And it's interesting because I think the three wise men come into town. They're expecting the whole town to be a buzz, excited about the new king of the Jews. And instead, it's this big secret, and nobody has a clue what they're talking about. And Herod is furious, and so are the religious leaders of the day. It says all of Jerusalem is in an uproar. They're frustrated, right? Why? Because the Lord has spoken to three pagan kings of another foreign nation that doesn't honor him instead of God's holy chosen people. Okay? So they're furious. Why did they get to know about this and we don't? And Jesus points out that there's two people in the Bible, in the New Testament, that Jesus said, wow, you have great faith. Okay? Joseph Prince pointed this out in uh, the book I just finished reading. What's it called? Dust in the Rain. It's amazing. Like, seriously, I want to do a book study on it. It really is amazing. Um, so but here's what he points out. Those two people that Jesus said, you have great faith, neither of them were Jewish. They were both pagans. One was a Roman centurion, okay, who understood authority, and Jesus, says, Jesus marveled at his faith. And the other was the woman who came and asked for healing for her kid, and Jesus said, no way, Jose. And she says, 
but even the dogs get to eat from the crumbs at the table. She was a Gentile that didn't deserve it. And Joseph points out this fact that the law is what blinds people, okay? And all the Jews under the law are blinded to the spiritual truth. But the only two people who impressed Jesus with their faith were not under the law. And so they could see clearly who he was. Isn't that good? So they're mad that they haven't been alerted to the king of the Jews being born. But these pagans who are not under the law, they have been alerted by the heavens that this is happening. So it's a really interesting situation. They're, they're probably confused. Like, okay, the heavens spoke very clearly here we are. It's not going like we expected it to go. This is kind of weird. And Herod sends them out the door. So they'd seen the star rise at the beginning, and they took off. I don't know that they've seen the star since they've shown up to Jerusalem. Because when they walk out of Herod's palace, it says that then the star arose. It appeared again. And so then they see the star, and it sits still over a house. And so they follow the star, and it leads them into town. Now just imagine this. They're going from Jerusalem. They're going down the hills, over the hills, through towns to get to Bethlehem. And it's a convoy. I mean, just royal garbs and tons of people and all these riches coming through town. Can you imagine these tiny little villages and this huge circus of people come through town? Wow, what's going on? Oh my goodness, this is incredible. And everybody comes out of their houses and they watch. What's, who are they going to? What are they, what's going to happen? What's, what is this? And so all these people begin to follow. And they start going from town to town to town following this huge. I think when they show up to Bethlehem, there's this large crowd of people excited to find out where in the world are they going? What are they doing? Who are these people? And why are they here? Okay? Kind of like a presidential convoy driving through your town. Like, what is going on? The, pre- the king's here? This is crazy. So they finally pull up to this house. The star is sitting over this house. Notice it's not the manger. This is a house. There has been time split. Jesus born in the manger, and now they're at a house. Maybe a day, maybe two years. We don't know, but there's distance in between there. And now they show up at this house. So take a minute and just think about Mary and Joseph. Okay, the Lord shows up, an angel of the Lord shows up to Mary. Mary, you're going to give birth to the king of the world. Whoa, oh my gosh, she has this encounter with God. The voice of God, the promise of God speaks. Wow, this is so amazing. And she's way up here. And then she goes to tell Joseph, and she's like, Joseph, I'm going to give birth to the king of the world. And Joseph's like, I want a divorce. Whoa, she comes way down here. This roller coaster that she starts on. And then Joseph has an encounter with an angel. Oh my gosh, we're gonna, I'm going to be the daddy of the king of the world. This is amazing, right? And then, so they're cruising along up here. And then all of a sudden, Rome says, everybody go back to your hometown. we got to do a census. Boom. We're just about to have a baby. What are you talking about? We don't, we don't have a house there. We don't have a hospital. We don't know people there. How are we going to do this? She's about to give a baby any day now. This is crazy. And they're cruising along way down here. They finally get to Bethlehem, and she's about to pop any second. They can't find a house to have a baby inside, and they end up next to the cow dung giving birth to the king of the world. Talk about how low you would feel on the promise of God, and you're like, what? I'm so confused. You just gave birth to your son, God of the universe, next to cow dung. This is weird, right? But then, all of a sudden, the angel speaks to the shepherds, and they end up way up here. And now at the, at the, 
at the stable, the shepherds come and they confirm the promise of God. This is the king in the world. Wow, this is amazing, right? You're back up here. The promises of God are true. This is amazing. This is the king of the world. And they cruise for a few days, and then they start going back to normal life, and they got to find a house to move into. They don't know what to do. They're taking care of this little baby, and they're way on down here. This is the king of the world. How does this work? And then all of a sudden, knock, knock, knock. Three kings from a foreign country have come with unbelievable amounts of money to give to your baby boy. Then you're back up here. And these pagans are confirming this is the king of the Jews that was prophesied for hundreds of years. You see the roller coaster of faith that Mary and Joseph had to go on. This is true for almost every hero of the faith throughout the Bible. Abraham, guess what? You're going to be the father of many nations. Look at all those stars. Look at the sand on the seashores. This will be your inheritance. This will be your ancestors. Whoa, this is so amazing. I'm going to start having a baby. Hey, Sarah, we're going to have like 10 tuplets tomorrow. Here we go. Let's start. And then no baby, no baby. Year after year after year after year after year, living in the desert with no promises of the Lord coming. He's had this amazing encounter, but he lives down here standing on the promises of God. And then all of a sudden he does have a baby, and God's like, no, not by your own strength. No, you can't. That doesn't work. And then he has his promised baby. He's like, yes. The promises of God are true. Kill your son. No. Stand on the promises of God, right? Moses. God speaks to Moses. Moses, guess what? You're the savior of the nation. I'm going to pull everybody out of Egypt through you. Yes, wow, that's amazing. I'm going to give you this magic stick to show Pharaoh, and then he'll let everybody go. Wow, Pharaoh, check this out. Boom. I have a stick, too. (laughs) Stand on the promises of God way down here, right? If you look at every hero of the faith, there's this, the God speaks, this encounter, this moment with God. This is what I want to do. And then there's a testing that the Lord will always do. He'll always bring the testing to see if you're going to stand on the faith. And Hebrews 11 speaks of all these different people who had the exact same thing. But there's one verse in Hebrews 11. It's verse 6. And it talks about we have to be people who stand in faith, who believe God is who he says he is, that he will do what he says he will do, and that he rewards those who diligently seek him. Amen? Everybody say rewards. And so that God is constantly watching. You guys have had encounters with God where God spoke. Wow, that's amazing. And then you've gone through testing. And God's watching to see, are you going to diligently believe the word of the Lord, that God is who he says he is, that he's going to do what he says he's going to do, and he will reward you if you stand on his promises, okay? So there we are inside the house. Knock, knock, knock. Open the door. There's, a, there's towns outside your door. The three kings are right there, and they have these treasure chests of possibly millions of dollars coming, and they're bowing before your baby saying, this is the king of the world. How amazing. They're way up here. Then they have, they have a party. Maybe they eat some dinner, and then they go to sleep. And that night, the angel of the Lord comes and speaks to the three kings. Get the heck out of Dodge. Pharaoh's gonna, I mean, Herod's going to kill the baby. And they run. They bolt. So you wake up in the morning, Mary and Joseph. Man, that was amazing. That was a great night. Let's go hang out with the They're gone. They're, what, where do they go? Where's it, where do they all go? And they're back down again, right? And then they go to sleep again, and God speaks to Joseph. Get out of here. 
Herod's coming to kill. Take everything and run off to Egypt. And so you've gone from here to way down here, and you are on the run with the king of the world on your shoulders, if you will, with the loot that these guys just gave you, running for your life so that your child doesn't die under the king's rule. It's a roller coaster. It's crazy, okay? But it's God. And it happens consistently throughout the Bible, and we need to pay attention to it. So here's a few things that I want us to pay attention to for this story. One is the gifts that were given to Jesus, they were prophetic in nature, and they spoke to his prophetic destiny. They gave him gold, saying, you are a king. They gave him frankincense, saying, you are God. And you are a well-pleasing sacrifice and offering to the Lord of Lords. They gave him myrrh, which was to, at his birth, prepare him for his death on the cross. His gifts had prophetic significance. Jesus gave you gifts as well. Can we put that slide up, Eli or Jonathan? Jesus gave you gifts. Ephesians chapter 4 says that when Jesus went up to heaven, he gave Everybody, he gave mankind gifts, some apostles, some prophets, some pastors, some evangelists, some teachers. I got it out of order, but you can read it in Ephesians chapter 4. Jesus gave these gifts to you. They're prophetic in nature, speaking to what you are called to do. The Holy Spirit gives gifts as well. Here's some of the gifts that the Holy Spirit gives. Word of wisdom, word of knowledge, faith, gifts of healing, miracles, prophecy, distinguishing gifts, tongues, interpretation of tongues. Exhortation, giving, leadership, mercy, teaching, right? Holy Spirit gives gifts, and God gives each of you specific gifts that only you can do. You were born to be able to do things that you're just naturally good at, that you love to do. And when you do those things, you come to life. Those are gifts that God gave to you. All three of the Trinity gave you gifts that are prophetic in their nature, speaking towards what God intended for you. Are we paying attention to what the gifts mean for your life? First question. Second question. As we talked about this roller coaster of faith, I'm challenged today to stop and think, okay, God, what are the promises that you've given to me, the, the encounters I've had with you where you showed up in my life and you said, I'm going to do this. And I yeah, this is amazing. And I'm way up here. And then I've been tested. And I come way down here. And the question is, for us, what are the things God has spoken to you that have to go through the testing in your own life? And that God is watching you currently to say, are you going to expect me to do what I told you I would do? I want to reward you for my promises in your life, for standing in faith. Are you going to trust me that I'm going to do those things? Okay? That's the two things I want us to take from this story looking at the three wise men. So here's how we're going to do it. I want you to pull out your journal, pull out your phone, and we're going to take five, ten minutes. We're going to turn on some worship music, and I want you to take time and really ask God, what gifts have you given me, and what do they speak about what I'm called to do with my life? And then, what promises have God told you? that you're being tested in, and that you need to embrace and stand and believe God that he's going to do these things for you. Let me show you this little illustration. A few years ago, there's this guy named Carl Madeiras, and he showed us this great picture. He put Jesus here in the middle. 
on a straight cross. Mine's crooked, sorry. Um, Put Jesus in the middle. He said, look, everybody in life is an arrow or has an arrow, okay? Some people are like this with Jesus. They're like super close to Jesus or running hard after him. They're going, they're like right there, me and Jesus, arrow all day long, right? Some people are the opposite, and they're like down here, and they're like as far away from Jesus as they can get. Their arrow's pointing in the wrong direction. They are getting out of dodge. Some people are kind of like over here. They're not really going away from Jesus. They're not really going to Jesus. They're just kind of like roaming around Jesus, you know. And so everybody's got these arrows that are pointing in different directions, some close, some far. Some people are super close to Jesus, and they're running away, right? And and here's what Carl told us. He said, look, everybody you come in contact with has an arrow, and it's pointing either to Jesus or away from Jesus. Your job is not to take this guy and to take him all the way here all the time, okay? Your job is very simply to turn this guy and help his arrow get pointing back toward Jesus. Because if you can turn the arrow, they're going to end up in Jesus' embrace, all right? And so I just want to use that illustration this morning with these two questions that we've got. The two questions are, what gifts have God given you, and what do they speak about your destiny? And then, what promises has God, has God given you that you need to stand on, and maybe they're being tested right now, and you're in the low part of your roller coaster? Where is your arrow in relation to those gifts and that promise? Is it down here? Because some of us have stood on promises for, like, years. God, I believe it, I believe it, like Abraham. And we're getting kind of tired. And we start turning our arrow and, like, looking the wrong way, you know? This morning, I want us to have a new lens about what those things are. Put on your new lens and let's repent. You know what repent means? It means to change your thinking. So if you have thinking that's kind of like you're tired and you're just, you're just kind of coasting on your gifts and you're coasting on your promise, then let's repent. Let's change our thinking and let's turn our arrow so that we start moving back towards Jesus. Amen? Some of you guys are right here. Going for it hard. Recommit today. I'm going to go for it all the days of my life. Some of you guys are running away from what God's called you to. Put on a new lens. Change your thinking. Turn your arrow around and come back to what the Lord's called you to. Amen? All right. Mary's going to turn on some music. Let's take five, ten minutes and let's meditate and journal. Talk to the Lord.